You can be seated. Take your Bibles with me if you would like and turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. Lord, as we have prayed through the psalm, we pray again with our hearts and our minds. Delight in us this morning. Let your presence bless us. Let your spirit guide us. And Father, as we as an NBC community and family, seek your face in this week of prayer together. Hear us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Lori had just completed her, uh, her freshman year at a Nazarene college, and she and I had gone home for the summer. We had moved home to our parents' home for the summer there. We were working at the same place, and uh, we were talking together a lot. My sister Lori, two years younger than I, and I have always been very close, and were good friends then, and celebrated that relationship, and we talked about a lot of things. And one of the things that we were talking about was a serious concern that we had for a family member who was going through some very, very difficult times at that time. She was going through some emotional problems. She was experiencing a lot of stress and extra physical stuff, as well as some circumstantial things that were just making things just unbearable in her life. And we were more and more burdened for her. And as we prayed and as we talked one day, Lori came to me and she said, Alan, I really believe I really believe that, that for us to adequately intercede for this family member, God is calling for you and for me together to band together, to bind our hearts together, to tell no one, but just to begin to fast and pray. God's calling us to fast and pray for three days for Him to do something in the life of this family member. Now, I grew up in the Church of the Nazarene, like many of you, probably most of you, and I remember when I was a little child, you know, we had prayer and self-denial for missions. Remember that? Every Friday, skipped your meal, put your money in your envelope, dropped it in the plate uh, on Sunday morning to send off to some dark land for God to do His work while you prayed for missions. So, so praying a, a meal and fasting here and there was something that I was acquainted with and had discovered uh, a pray and, and fast for a day. That had been something that, that had become a part of my life in college, but three days? Three days? That's a long time, isn't it? I mean, that's like two plus one. That is a really long time. And, and, uh, and I said, oh man, but we set the date and we began our fast and we were working 10 hours a day and we were commuting about an hour each way. And I just have to tell you, those were three of the longest days of my life. I mean, I thought I was going to die. It just felt so like so much. But I didn't die. You know that. Here I stand. But I do remember what did happen. Every time my stomach said, Alan, feed me. And it did that a lot. I mean, just in case you're wondering, God has called me to a life of prayer and fasting. But just in case you're wondering, I like to eat. I mean, I like meals. I like snacks in between meals. I frequently snack between snacks. I mean, I keep animal crackers in my office, don't I, Pat? And I snack on those in between snacks. I love to eat. But during that time, as my stomach was growling at me and saying, Alan, feed me, take care of me. 
Every time my stomach would growl, God the Holy Spirit would look deeply into my heart and He would say, Alan, remember what you are doing. Remember this person for whom you care. Remember what it is that I want to do in their lives. And Alan, you pray for her. You pray for her. And for three days, I remember sitting in that McDonald's, my sister and I, after we completed that three-day fast. We had drive 20 miles to the nearest McDonald's. Uh, you know where we grew up. Uh, we drove... A, a, sitting in that McDonald's, breaking that three-day fast together and marveling, just marveling at the amazing grace of God that would hear and answer our prayers. As we had watched during that three days, just three days, to see attitude and circumstances and physical changes occur in the life of this person for whom we so deeply cared, God answered our prayers. Church, I believe with all of my heart that God wants to hear and answer our prayers. God is looking for a people who will partner together with Him in prayer to achieve His purposes here on this earth. Let me say that again. God, when God's people pray, God unleashes His power to achieve His purposes in our lives, in the church, and in the world. And that is never, ever more true than when God's people fast and pray. 1 Kings 18 tells the story of Elijah's encounter with Ahab. And you remember the story. I love this story. Uh, it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Ahab was a terribly wicked king. In 1 Kings 16.30 it says that Ahab did more evil than all the kings who were before him. Ahab and his wife Jezebel led the children of Israel away from worshiping the one true God into serving Baal and Asherah and some other gods, gods of the Sidonians and others. And, and as they led Israel away into the worship of these other gods. As a part of that, it led them further and further into immorality and into other terrible kinds of practices that just distanced them further and further from God and His desire for His people until finally God sent the prophet Elijah. And Elijah confronted King Ahab and he said, Ahab, God has said, enough is enough. And so from this point forward, it will not rain. There won't even be dew on the ground for the next several years until I, God's spokesperson, say that it will happen. And then Elijah went his way. Three and a half years later, Elijah returned, called for a confrontation between God and the gods that Ahab and Jezebel were serving. It says that 450 prophets of Baal and over 400 prophets of Asherah came together to come to the top of Mount Carmel and to confront Elijah and the God of Israel. And they prepared an altar at Elijah's instructions. He said, this is what we'll do. You'll prepare an altar, I'll prepare an altar. And the God that answers with fire, he is God. The people liked that idea, sounded like a really good show. And so they said, yeah, let's go for it. Elijah said, there's so many of you, you go first. You remember the story. They went first, prepared the altar, did all the stuff, got the bull on there, and started dancing and doing all the cultic things that were a part of their ritual to get the attention of their God and to get their gods to answer their prayers, cut themselves, danced, sang, did lots of strange things. 
No answer. All morning long, no answer. In the afternoon, Elijah kind of got bored with the whole thing. Still no answer, and he began to taunt the prophets of the other gods. He said things to them we wouldn't let the children say in Sunday school. But we still like it that he did say those things for us. Still no answer. Finally, as the time of the evening sacrifice was approaching, Elijah said, enough is enough. Come here, children of Israel. They gathered around the altar of God, which had been allowed to fall into disrepair. Pair. He rebuilt the altar. He placed the wood. He slaughtered the bull and arranged the sacrifice. He had them bring in gallons and gallons and gallons of water until everything was soaked and the trench around the altar was filled with water. And then he prayed this simple prayer. He said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your command. Then fire fell from heaven and burned up the sacrifice in the wood, the altar and the water and the trench all around it, and everybody there was just amazed. Can you imagine? Everyone was astounded. I stood yesterday and pictured being out in the Apostles' Court and standing there and having fire fall from heaven and consume the bell tower and everything, all that was around it. And how would we respond? Probably exactly as they did. We'd fall on our faces and cry out, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said, Okay, grab these other prophets. Take them to the base of the mountain in the Kishon Valley and kill them all. And you would think at that point, Elijah, would say, man, it's been a really good day. God has answered. God has won. We're doing really, really well. But Elijah wasn't finished yet. In fact, for our purposes today, this is where the story gets really interesting to me. Elijah looked at Ahab after all of this and he said, okay, King Ahab, here's where the text is that I'm looking at together with you today, if they want to put it on the screen. Elijah said, Ahab, go and eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. Now, some teachers of the Bible believe that what, uh, what Elijah was saying to Ahab was all of the people there had been fasting as a part of this ritual throughout that day. And he was looking at Ahab and he was saying, okay, the answer has come, God has intervened, and you can go and celebrate. Break your fast, celebrate, and have a really, really good time. But it had been three and a half years since it had rained. There wasn't a cloud in the sky, the Bible tells us, and Elijah wasn't finished. Elijah sent Ahab and the rest of the people off to have a party and to celebrate, but he climbed back up to the top of Mount Carmel. It says he got down on his face before God. He put his face between his knees, and he prayed until he got an answer. Elijah, the prophet of God, prayed until he got an answer, and he prayed with incredible power. After three and a half years, it rained in response to his prayer. One of the fascinating things about Elijah and his prayers to me is that none of Elijah's recorded prayers are particularly long. None of Elijah's recorded prayers are particularly eloquent. But every prayer Elijah prayed had unbelievable power in it. The question that I'm asking is how did Elijah pray with such power? How can we pray with power? And you know when I say how can Elijah pray with such power, I know a lot of people would look at me and say, 
Duh, Alan. He's Elijah. You know, I mean, he was Elijah. He could pray with power. And I'm going, you know what? I think that's right. I mean, a big part of me just wants to say, absolutely. Uh, he was Elijah, right? But then I look over into James chapter 5, where in verse 17, the writer of the book of James says this, Elijah was a man, catch this next phrase, just like us. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain for three and a half years. He prayed again, and it rained, and all of the things happened that happened. Elijah was a man just like us. You know what James is saying when he says that? James is trying to say to us, you can pray with the same kind of power with which Elijah prayed. Come on, Alan. I mean, pray like Elijah. Pray with the same kind of power that Elijah prayed with. Be real with us, Alan. I mean, come on. Do you really think that? What if? What if it really might be true? Can you stretch that far with me this morning? What if that really might be true? That God could help us to pray with the same kind of power that Elijah prayed with. What would that look like? How would that happen? Look at what happened in the text with me, if you would, please, this morning. What does it look like to pray with power? Well, the first thing that I see instantly is that praying with power means praying in faith, in the promises of God. Elijah had a specific, definite promise from God. In 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1, it says this, The word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. Elijah believed God. He believed absolutely that God's promise was true. He had this definite promise from God, and Elijah believed that God was going to make it rain. Elijah believed that the promise that God had given to him was real. But still, even though he had the promise of God and he had faith that God was going to achieve his promise, Elijah still had some praying to do. He still had some praying to do. He still sent everybody else off to go to party, and he went up the mountain to pray. God has given us a lot of very definite, very specific promises in his word. But church, we still have some praying to do. God promises that if we will pray in faith and if we will be faithful to him, that he will take care of all of our financial needs. That's his promise. God promises that if we will pray in faith, he will heal the sick. He will strengthen the weak. He will will protect us from the enemy. He will deliver us from every temptation. He will lift us up when we are discouraged. Church, God promises that when we pray in faith, the gates of hell will not be able to stand against what God wants to do through us. 
Praying with power means praying in faith. But praying with power also means shutting your eyes to the conditions, the circumstances, the conditions around you. Elijah was in northern Israel. You and I know that on the eastern edge of Israel and the southern edge of Israel is desert. And in that area, it's not particularly uncommon for it not to rain for a year, maybe occasionally even for it not to rain for two. But in the area where Elijah was, for it not to rain three and a half years was an unbelievable kind of situation. It hadn't rained in three and a half years. There wasn't a cloud in the sky. And yet Elijah believed that God was going to send the rain. He shut his eyes to the conditions around him and believed in the promise of God. Last year we had a student here at NBC. You'll remember him. Wonderful man who had been here for a couple of years. Went to the doctor because he was hurting all over doctor said to him, I have bad news. You have cancer. I have worse news. We can't touch it. I have worse news. You have six months at the most to live. Six months at the most to live. And yet, he came to me as he came to many of you, I'm sure, and he said to me, I, I, but still, I know what the doctors have said. But God has said to me, I am not finished with you yet. I still have purpose for your life. I believe God has promised me that He is going to heal me. He still has purpose and plan for my life. He did everything right, went to the doctors. He moved back home so that just in case God didn't, He said to me, whether God heals me or whether He doesn't, I will serve the Lord. He moved back home so His family would be taken care of just in case. And before He left, we knelt around this altar, many of us together with him. We anointed him and prayed for him for healing. And he claimed God's promise then. And when he called me later, after he had moved home, he was still claiming God's promise. He went to Johns Hopkins University Medical Center. Not a bad place to go. He had them do all of the tests. They looked at all the tests from the doctors here in Colorado. They compared them. They called him in. And they said to him, Ray, we completely concur with your doctors in Colorado. They were absolutely correct from everything that we have seen. Ray, you had cancer. But you don't have cancer anymore. You don't have cancer anymore. Elijah got on his face before God. He put his face between his knees. Do you see that? He shut out all of the circumstances, all of the conditions around him, and he sent his servant to check, and he prayed until he saw an answer. And he kept praying. He persisted in prayer, powerful prayer. His faith filled in the promise of God. It shuts its eyes to the conditions, and it persists until it gets God's answer. He said, his servant back and back and back again six times seven times until he got God's answer I have seen wonderful good and godly people miss God's miracle in their lives because they did not persist in praying all the way through to God's answer for them in their lives. Elijah persisted in prayer. He kept praying. Jesus himself said, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. It's the person who persists, Jesus said, who receives answers to their prayers. Powerful prayer is faith-filled prayer that shuts out the negative circumstances and continues in prayer 
When I'm holding on to one of God's promises, I keep praying. Church, I keep praying until God answers my prayer or He redirects my prayer. God wants for us to pray like Elijah prayed. And that means praying with power. And the most powerful support that I know of for prayer is fasting combined together with prayer. When God said that He was going to destroy the nation of Israel because they had made a golden calf at the foot of Mount Sinai. Moses turned around, went back up the mountain, fell on his face before God, and closed his eyes and interceded without eating or drinking for 40 days. He prayed for the nation of Israel that God would not destroy them. And God relented. When multiple armies were invading Israel, King Jehoshaphat called for a day of fasting and prayer, and God delivered them. When Ezra and those who were returning from captivity with him suddenly realized we have no protection for this great journey, and we're a small group of people, and we're going through some very dangerous territory, Ezra stopped them, and he called for a day of fasting and of prayer, and God miraculously protected them throughout their journey. When Jesus himself was getting ready to begin his ministry. He went into the desert and spent 40 days fasting and praying. And in that season, he confronted and overcame the temptations of the enemy to take shortcuts to reach God's purpose and plan for his life and ministry. Elijah, Elijah sent Ahab off to eat and to drink but he went back up the mountain to pray. And you know what I like about this passage? I love this passage, and I want you to hear me. I love this passage for the purpose of what I have to share. When I'm going to talk about prayer and fasting, I've talked about it a lot to a lot of groups of people. And, and when I'm going to talk about it, this isn't always the text that I rush to. I like this passage for this one reason. Because all we know for sure from this text is that Elijah skipped one meal. Are you ready for that? All we know for sure from this text is that Elijah skipped one meal. I mean, some people think that maybe they spent that day fasting and praying, but we don't know that from the text. All we know for sure is that he sent everybody else to go have a party, and he turned and went up the mountain to pray together with God. I can just picture the scene. I can picture Elijah that morning waking up and saying, man, I've got a full day ahead of me, and fixing himself a hearty breakfast like his mother would have fixed for him. And I can picture him as the afternoon was beginning to wear on, and he was taunting the prophets of Baal, a little board there, sent out for Chinese, had a great time there together with the people. I can picture that scenario. But what we do know with certainty right here just from this text is that in this evening, at this one time, Elijah skipped one meal so that he could fast and focus and pray to God. And look what God did in response to his prayer. Three and a half years of drought, no hope of rain in sight, and God changed those circumstances. Listen, fasting strengthens our prayers. Everything that's true about prayer 
is strengthened and intensified as we fast together with prayer. Fasting sharpens the edge of our intercession. It makes our prayers more passionate. It causes us to concentrate on what our focus in prayer should be. When you're fasting about something specific, when I'm fasting about something specific, and my stomach is screaming at me and saying, I want food, I'm reminded to concentrate and to pray about whatever it is that God has called up on me to pray for. Fasting strengthens my prayer. It strengthens my faith. Don't misunderstand me. Fasting is not some kind of a spiritual hunger strike that we do that causes God to do something He doesn't want to do. When Moses came up to intercede for the children of Israel, he did so because God wanted to relent, and He brought Moses there for that time and that place. But it strengthens our faith, our faith to believe that God can and will do what He has promised to do and has urged us to ask Him to do. Fasting strengthens our prayer, it strengthens our faith, and it gives us more boldness to ask. You know, I remember clearly being Pastor Allen and being surrounded by people on a number of occasions when I was standing in some kind of a situation and having small children, and my children who didn't know that they should politely wait to come and talk to Dad like everybody else would just walk up and grab my pant leg and just pull on the leg of my pant and say, Daddy, right now I need your attention. Now we teach them about manners, but at the same time they were unashamed to come to their father with boldness to say, I am your child. I deserve your special attention. I need you, Dad. I need your attention right now. I have needs, and you're the only one who can meet them. And that is exactly what fasting reminds us of in prayer. When we come to that place where we can say, God, we know you are the only one who can help. We need you, God. Help us right now, God. We need you. And fasting brings us into that place where we become more focused on prayer. Can I be real since it's just us? I go to a lot of church services where I am firmly convinced that most of the people who are in the church service are a lot more concerned about what they're going to have for lunch after the service is over than about what God might want to do in that service. Fasting jolts us. Fasting gets our at attention off of the material and onto the spiritual. Fasting gets our focus on prayer where it needs to be. When I'm fasting and I'm praying, I want to know what it is that God has called me to fast about. I want to know why it is that God wants to achieve His promise in this situation. I want God to work in that particular situation. I remember the first time that God called me to an extremely extended fast in my life and I prayed and I tested God in a number of different ways to make certain that I wasn't just being crazy, that I was really hearing God and I knew with certainty that it was really God when Jan said, okay Alan, you can do this, it really is God. Jan is my, my she keeps me straight but the one question that I couldn't answer that she asked me that I thought was a pivotal question is okay, if God is calling you 
If God is calling you to fast like this, what is He calling you specifically to intercede for? And I couldn't answer that question immediately. And it left me with uncertainty, but I knew that I knew that I knew that God was saying, fast and pray. And so I began. And day after day after day, as I was fasting and as I was praying, I was saying, God, whatever you want is what I want. And I drew closer to Him and He drew closer to me and I knew He was doing something. And finally, day five... I didn't say this last night, but day five, three out of the, five, the four major church leaders, the four biggest givers for you who have been in pastoral ministry in the life of that church, three out of four within three days were gone from the life of the church. We were in a stewardship campaign to raise money, millions of dollars to relocate our church facility. We were daughtering a church, lots of money, right at the same time. Three of our four biggest givers, gone within three days. Suddenly I knew, God said, okay, Alan, you get it? You need to pray. I haven't stopped. My purposes haven't changed. I'm still gonna do this, but I need you to pray this through. God heard and answered our prayers. But when we're fasting, we're more focused on praying and saying, God, I don't see how it can happen, but I trust that you have promised and you are God and you are able and you are going to work in this situation. Andrew Murray said, prayer needs fasting for its full growth. Prayer, Murray, the great African Scottish teacher said, prayer is the one hand with which we grasp the invisible. Fasting, Murray said, is the other hand with which we let go of the visible. Prayer needs fasting. John Wesley, whom many of us revere, said the man who never fasts is no more on the way to heaven than the man who never prays. This week, NBC family, we have been called by our president to a season of prayer together. And I am so grateful to him for doing this for us and taking the lead on this for us. He's called us to this season of intensified prayer. And you know and I know that Nazarene Bible College needs God to work among us. I love what God has been doing among us. But we need to see more. We want to see real spiritual transformation on this campus and across this institution. And we've also, as you know, some of you have called every church of the Nazarene across the United States. And we've invited them to share their requests for us. And I, I'm a third generation Nazarene. I'm a Nazarene by birth and a Nazarene now by choice. I believe in the ministry of the Church of the Nazarene, but I know in my heart of hearts the Church of the Nazarene needs revival. I'm extremely aware that more than 70% of the churches of the Nazarene are either stagnant or in decline. Our church needs for God to work across the church. And why not? What might happen Elijah prayed, skipped one meal. God changed a three-and-a-half-year drought and brought rain across the land. What might happen if just a handful of us in Nazarene Bible College will say, I can do that. I can skip one meal. 
I can fast and I can pray that God himself will do a work on Nazarene Bible College campus and across the United States in the Church of the Nazarene. I can do that. I can do that for God. What might happen if just a handful of us would say, I can fast for a day this week during this time of intense prayer at Nazarene Bible College. I can fast for a day and I can pray. I know all the things that are going through your mind right now. Rebuke them and listen to me. What might happen? What might happen if just a handful of us, if just a handful of us together would say, if you'd just say to me, Alan, I will fast and pray one day with you this week. Hear me saying, I'll do more. What would happen? What would happen if some of us said, God is calling us to do even more. We have such a burden for NBC, for the Church of the Nazarene, for God's work in the United States with the elections coming and with all the chaos in our world. What would happen if we said, God, you're the only one who can do this and we're so desperate for you to meet with us that we will even go to the extreme of driving past McDonald's a couple of times this week and not stopping. What would happen? What would happen? I think God wants to send rain spiritual rain across us and he's just waiting for a people who will partner with him and pray if my people who are called by my name chaplain will lead us in that I'm sure what might happen pray with me father we believe in this place we believe with all of our hearts that you have called us to Nazarene Bible College to prepare men and women for ministry around the world. We believe in what you have done through this place and what you are going to do through this place. And we are desperate, God, to see you work among us and throughout the lives of our students and their families. God, we believe in the Church of the Nazarene and you have called us this week to pray for our church. Lord, for these men and women who are gathered here together in your name in these moments, I pray right now that you would call us to pray, to fast. That you would speak to each of us and that your voice would call our names and that we would say, yes, Lord. Here am I. Use me. In the matchless name of Jesus, I pray.